0: You are listening to Bullet Points with Margot Bennett, the Executive Director of Women Against Gun Violence. Bullet Points is our 15-minute monthly update on hot topics in the gun violence prevention movement. Good morning, everyone, and thank you for joining me. I'm Margot Bennett, the Executive Director of Women Against Gun Violence, and this is Bullet Points. Today, I will be talking about Stand Your Ground Laws, citizens arrest laws, and if there's time, ghost guns. Our first topic this morning is Stand Your Ground laws and how they work when used as a defense in court. Stand Your Ground laws allow a person to use deadly force in self-defense out in public, even if that force can be safely avoided by retreating. This is of course, very different from castle laws that allow a person to defend their home in their home. Extending castle laws to the public arena encourages the escalation of violence in everyday conflicts because there's no longer a duty to retreat if possible. Nevertheless, more than half of US states have now adopted your ground policies, ignoring legal precedent and a growing body of research showing that these laws significantly increase gun homicides and injuries. These laws allow individuals to use deadly force as a first step rather than as a last resort. As the first state to implement a standard ground law, Florida has been an important test case regarding the public health safety implications of this law. Multiple studies show that Florida's standard ground law escalates violence across the state. The implementation of Florida's standard ground law was associated with a 32% increase in firearm homicide rates and a 24% increase in overall homicide rates. Importantly, Researchers found that Florida's Stand Your Ground law increased unlawful homicide rates. In 79% of Florida Stand Your Ground cases, the shooter could have retreated to avoid the confrontation, and in almost 70% of those cases, the person killed was unarmed. As Stand Your Ground law spread from Florida across the country, pushed by the NRA, They have proven to be a clear threat to public safety with no evidence that these laws deter crime. In fact, studies have shown conclusively that these Stand Your Ground laws are associated with increases in homicides and injuries. Florida's Stand Your Ground law had the largest negative impact on neighborhoods that initially had the lowest homicide rates before the law was enacted. We can see guns don't make you safer. In any given month, approximately 30 to 50 people across the country are killed as a result of Stand Your Ground. Stand Your Ground laws are associated with an almost 10% increase across the country in firearm homicides. In many cases, the race of the attacker and victim are highly significant factors and whether a stand ground attack is determined to be justified when used as a defense in court. When the shooter is white and the victim is black, the stand ground offense is far more successful than when the victim is white. An analysis of Florida stand ground cases found that the shooter is twice as likely to be convicted in a case that involves white victims when compared to those involving non-white victims. It's very important to note that Stand Your Ground protection frequently doesn't hold if you are a black person standing your ground, and particularly a black woman. Case after case has shown that black women are often found guilty of a shooting, even if they were standing their ground in the face of imminent abuse. Are we safer here in California? Although we do not have a specific Your ground law here in California, we do permit the use of deadly force in self-defense in public with no duty to retreat through a combination of statutes, judicial decisions, and jury instructions. Importantly though, these shoot first protections may only be used during criminal trials. After the shooting of Trayvon Martin, a young black man with a bag of Skittles in Florida by George Zimmerman, who claimed the Stand Your Ground defense. There have been state efforts to introduce legislation to weaken or repeal these types of laws. So far, no success. Now on to citizen arrest laws, which when combined with Stand Your Ground laws can be a deadly combination. So-called citizens arrest laws which allow private individuals to apprehend someone they think is a wrongdoer, have been around for centuries and strive to protect the person doing the arresting from civil or criminal liability in the event that the person arrested is injured or harmed during the event. In theory, that makes sense if the person is a person snatcher and falls and injures their arm when stopped by a citizen. But in practice, citizen's arrest doctrines have set the stage for tragic, unnecessary, and avoidable confrontations and deaths. Race and status, just as in stand-your-ground events, factors into citizen's arrests. No one knows how many citizen arrests occur in the U.S. every year, because the police are usually called in and an officer processes the arrest leaving little evidence of private involvement. We do see, however, that private arrest authority is too often badly misused by those who believe their higher social status gives them authority over someone they perceive as having lower status. Frequently, this falls along racial lines, as seen in the detention of immigrants by militias at the U.S. border the attitude of night watchmen in gated communities and in situations like the Ahmad Arbery case, where Arbery, a black man, was chased and murdered by Gregory and Travis McMichael, who say they chased Arbery because they believed he was behind neighborhood burglaries. Arbery, of course, had committed no crime. He was just jogging. The killing of an unarmed black jogger by white residents who assumed he was up to no good is shocking, but it should come as no surprise. If anything, Ahmed Arbery's death in Georgia on February 23, 2020 was predictable. The latest tragic example of the fatal consequences that can occur when private citizens seek to take the law into their own hands and those private citizens also have a gun. And now finally, a brief conversation about ghost guns. Law enforcement agencies are facing a new and growing problem, homemade, nearly impossible to trace firearms, otherwise known as ghost guns. The term ghost gun is used by media, police, and sometimes the firearms industry to describe homemade weapons devoid of serial numbers or other identifying markings that enable them to be tracked to their maker, seller, or original owner. For years, law enforcement authorities referred to these weapons as simply homemade guns or kit guns. Ghost gun is a relatively new term. How are ghost guns made? Well, one of the most popular methods for creating a ghost gun entails buying pre-made parts and assembling them into a gun at home. This may sound like a lot of work to the uninitiated, but experts say it's not. If you could put Ikea furniture together, you can make one of these guns. Are ghost guns legal? Yes. In fact, America has a long tradition of unregulated gun making. It was only in 1968 With the passage of the Gun Control Act, the gun makers were required to obtain a license from the federal government and stamp serial numbers on the weapons they produce. But the Gun Control Act also provided an exemption for people who make their own firearms for personal use. The Brady Gun Violence Prevention Act, which established the federal background check system in 1993, included a similar exemption for homemade weapons. In other words, it's perfectly legal for Americans to build their own firearms. Why is it a problem when a gun doesn't have a serial number? Well, when a law enforcement agency recovers a firearm in a criminal investigation, it can submit the weapon to the ATF for what's known as a trace. A trace report is kind of like a Carfax report for a gun, a detailed documentation of its life that includes the name of its manufacturer, distributor, seller, and purchaser. This information can be key to solving crimes, and when used in aggregate, trace data can provide insights into gun trafficking patterns. It's nearly impossible for the ATF to trace a gun without a serial number ghost guns don't have any unique markings and therefore present informational black holes to police investigators. The other big issue is that these weapons exist outside the traditional supply chain for guns. There's no paperwork showing that they exist and they don't require a background check. In other words, ghost guns provide an easy avenue for people with criminal records to obtain firearms. For example, If you are banned from owning guns in a state with universal background checks, you won't be able to walk into a store and purchase a gun. But if you order parts online and create your own ghost gun, it's likely that nobody will know. So, are a lot of criminals using ghost guns? It appears so. According to the ATF, 30% of all weapons recovered by the Bureau in California were homemade, Unserialized and untraceable. These weapons have been used in a number of mass shootings as well as in shootouts with police. Arms traffickers have also identified homemade firearms as a very lucrative business. That's not exactly a surprise. In a high regulation state like California, weapons command a premium on the black market but an arms dealer can construct a gun with parts worth a few hundred dollars and sell the weapon for four times the cost. Still, there are serious gaps in what we know about how often ghost guns are used in crimes because many local, state, and federal law enforcement agencies fail to keep track of ghost guns used in crime and recovered in their jurisdictions. In Los Angeles County, for example, A 16-year-old gunman used a homemade handgun to kill two of his classmates this past November. But the county does not track recoveries of homemade weapons. Have there been any efforts to regulate ghost guns? There are currently two federal bills designed to regulate ghost guns. The proposals would submit homemade weapons to the same regulations and licensing requirements as traditional firearms. Both bills are stalled in committee. In lieu of federal controls, four states, California, Connecticut, New Jersey, and Washington, have passed their own laws. Californias are perhaps the most expansive. In 2016, state lawmakers approved a regulation requiring homemade gun makers to serialize and register their weapons with the state. We are still struggling in 2020 to have this regulation implemented. And we recently sent you all an action alert, asking for your calls to Sacramento in support of micro stamping requirements. New Jersey, which passed its law in 2018, has also attempted to crack down on the proliferation of ghost guns by suing companies that manufacture the parts needed to make firearms. Well, that's it for today. Please join us next month when we address more hot topics in the gun violence prevention movement. Thank you for listening to Bullet Points, and be sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Visit our website at wagv.org to sign up for our action alerts. We're looking forward to you joining us next month.